If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be in verses 13 and 14 this morning as we continue in our track through the Sermon on the Mount. I think we have four more weeks in this endeavor as we've unpacked what I present to you as the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is. And we have been blessed to be given an an account of this sermon by the Apostle Matthew. And we have gone verse by verse, week by week through this. And today we find ourselves in a point in this sermon where Jesus gives us um, a warning in that he presents to us that we have a choice in the path and the gate and the place that we will head for in this life that he's blessed us with. Life is a blessing, it is a gift, and we are to be good stewards of this life that God's given us, and we are to live it for His glory. So I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There's a warning in this passage. There's two gates to choose from. And there's two destinations that will be the end. This is the purpose of Jesus' sermon. He has called us to be unique followers of His in this world that we live in. We have these beatitudes back in Matthew chapter 5 that tell us that we're to be poor in spirit and meek, and merciful, and peacemakers, and we're to endure persecution. He's called us to be salt and light in a world, salt in that we preserve a decaying world, light in that we shine the light of the gospel into a dark world, and the darkness has not overcome that light. He's then talked to us through a number of issues about the law, and he has basically, through all of it, narrowed the gate more and more and more for his disciples. Yeah, this is the purpose of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's taught all of that up to this point to say, now you have a choice, people. Will you listen to what Christ has said and enter through the narrow gate, or will you deny what Christ has said and follow the crowds through a wide gate? And he starts this section by saying, enter through the narrow gate. There's an understood you in that statement. You and I must enter through the narrow gate. We must embrace Jesus' teaching or we must reject it. And I urge you this morning as you listen to this message that you would embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. His entire sermon up to this point, as I said a moment ago, has been about narrowing the gate. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not murder. For everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So the gate's pretty wide at first, because if you look at the, if you survey the, the, nas- the, uh, the statistics of the world, less than 5% of people in the world commit murder. It's a minority of people that commit murder in the world at large. It always has been. 
So it's, it's a pretty narrow gate, if you will. But Jesus says, no, we're not talking about physical murder. I want to narrow it more, and I want to take it down to the murder of the heart. If you're angry in your heart towards your brother, you're murderous towards him. Because he's made in the image of God. And you have angst and bitterness in your heart towards someone. That's what the law means. Do not murder. So now the gate has become very tight and very narrow to navigate. He did the same thing with with adultery. Physical adultery was narrowed down to heart adultery. He did the same thing with frivolous promises. Everybody says all these promises and makes all these oaths. But he says, no, let what you say simply be yes or no. We live in a world that loves to fight back, but Jesus narrowed the gate and said, turn the other cheek. And man, our, lo- our world loves to hate the enemy, but Jesus says, pray for the persecutor. It's narrow. Jesus' ways are very narrow. And so I'm going to tell you this morning that there is a distinctly different gate that the followers of Jesus Christ go through, and it's narrow. And so we have in this passage a gate that's wide and a gate that's narrow. And we're going to look at four contrasts between these two two options that are before us. And here's what Jesus says. He says, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Here are the four distinctive differences that we will look at. First, we will see that there is a wide gate and a narrow gate. Second, we will see that the one path is easy and one path is hard. Third, we will see that on one path there are many people and on another path there are few people. And last, we will see that one path leads to destruction and one path leads to life. That's what we're going to do this morning with this passage. And so let's start first with this contrast of a wide gate Versus the narrow gate. God's way is not spacious. God's way is very confining. And the narrow gate that we are presented with here in Scripture implies that this is a gate that one person at a time goes through. And this is a personal choice that one person makes. Crowds are not going through narrow gates. This is a very, very personal decision. That cannot be made for you. You own this decision as to what gate you're going to go through. You can't go through the narrow gate lost in the crowd. But you can go through the wide gate lost in a crowd and not realize where you're heading. This is the, not the default path that we are made to take. Because our default is we want the wide gate. We want that wide open obvious choice. And we don't like narrowness. That all happened because of the fall in the garden back in Genesis chapter 3. And this implies, this narrow gate, this narrow gate implies that we must go through it alone, but also we can't take much through it with us. And you know that to be true. We, we talk about this often. When we die, we take nothing with us to heaven. We do not take all of our belongings and all of our accomplishments and all of our accumulated things with us. No, we will go straight through a very narrow gate, not taking anything of this world with us. And so this gate is something that is personal and narrow, and we'll see in a moment, hard. You know, let me say, nations don't go through the narrow gate. 
We live in a culture today that, that people often base their Christianity on the fact that they're an American, that they live in the United States of America. And I'm going to tell you, you, you want to apply this to America. This morning, there's a narrow gate in America, and that narrow gate goes to church because a majority of America this morning is not worshiping Jesus Christ in church. A majority of our nation right this minute is sitting at home watching news talk shows and NFL pregame shows. Or deer hunting. (laughs) But the narrow gate says, I'm going to go every first day of the week. And some go on the seventh day of the week on Saturday night. And I'm going to worship the creator of the world and his son, Jesus Christ. That already is a narrow gate. And we cannot establish our Christianity based on our nationality. But oh, so many people, oh, so many people do that. You know, we also can't establish our Christianity based on our families. Families don't go through the narrow gate together. It's one at a time. And I pray that all of our families one at a time go through. But we don't cluster up and huddle up as a family and walk through a narrow gate. It's not possible. This is an individual, personal choice. So children cannot say they are saved because my family is saved. There's not a child that can say, I'm a Christian because the Heinzes are Christians. And that's just who we are and that's just how we roll. That does not work. This requires a personal profession of faith by every individual breathing, living human being. Children cannot say that they are saved because they were dedicated in church. On October 27th, 2013. This was largely for parents. And this was ultimately for God. We as a church and parents have pledged to God to raise these children for the glory of God. These children must make a profession of faith. And parents must point children to the narrow gate. And that's discipleship and evangelism. We are evangelists to our children at home. And when they profess, now we make disciples of them. And so a child must be pointed to the narrow gate. We cannot go through it for them. We cannot carry them with us through it. It's that narrow and that confining. They must walk on their own two feet through that gate. So I want to make certain that we understand this morning what this gate is. Let me me rephrase that. I want to make certain this morning that we understand who the narrow gate is. Because the narrow gate is a person. The narrow gate is Jesus Christ, God with us. Jesus says this in John 10, 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You hear the narrowness? This is a narrow gate. And the gate is Jesus Christ. If we take a position of Jesus plus anything, we cannot enter through the narrow gate. Because the narrow gate is Jesus only. So it's not Jesus plus a reputation. It's not Jesus plus power and influence. 
It's not Jesus plus relationships. It's not Jesus plus financial resources. It's not Jesus plus all my assets. Because all that on the other side of the plus cannot go through the narrow gate. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what our baby dedication was all about. Parents pledged to God to point their children to the narrow gate, Jesus Christ. And we as a church pledged with these parents to help them point their children to the narrow gate, Jesus Christ. So make no mistake about it. Christ is the narrow gate that we must be very intentional in pointing one another to so that we always choose to enter by Him. Let's look at the next contrast. That was a wide and a narrow contrast. Next is that the wide gate is easy to go through and the narrow gate is hard to go through. Or said another way, the path through the wide gate is easy. The path through the narrow gate is hard. It's hard to become a Christian. It is. It's hard to remain a Christian takes work and effort. And those two words, work and effort, really translate into worship. It takes worship to enter through the narrow gate. It takes worship to become a Christian. And the worship is directed only at Jesus Christ and Him alone. I want you to listen to a verse. Because I'm going to tell you this morning that it is hard to become a Christian. And here's a verse that I use for this. It's Mark or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Just listen, it's a short one. Jesus says this, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I think that's a great verse to show that the narrow gate is the hard way. Becoming a Christian and remaining a Christian requires violence. Now you're all going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Blessed are the peacemakers. Come on, Edward. Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. Listen, it is a violent thing to become a Christian, and it is a violent thing to remain a Christian. What kind of violence am I talking about? I'm talking about two kinds of violence. The first I want to call a crucifixion violence. It required a crucifixion of Jesus Christ for Christianity to be launched. We see this first referenced in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The serpent has enticed Eve to eat of the tree. She hands to to her husband who's next to her and he eats and they have defied the command of God. And God curses the serpent. And here's what he says. I will put enmity, hostility between your offspring and the offspring of the woman. You shall strike his heel and he shall crush your head. That striking and that crushing is violence. And let me tell you what that points to. That's the very first glimpse of the gospel that we have in the Bible. It's in Genesis 3.15. And the striking of the heel of the offspring of the woman, that offspring of the woman's name is Jesus Christ came from Mary. And that striking of the heel is him hanging on a cross and bleeding and dying. But the offspring of the woman crushes the head of the serpent. 
And that's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day where Scripture tells us that he defeated sin and death forever for all that would believe in him. So Christianity is based upon violence, crucifixion, violence. Listen to this. Listen to Isaiah 53 and just listen to the language that Isaiah is inspired to use here. Isaiah 53, 4 through 10. Surely he has come, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. Christianity is a hard road because it required a crucifixion to be launched. I've said this often, that cross right there, that is a war symbol. That is the greatest war that has ever been waged in the history of war on that cross. It was a war between evil and good. And evil struck the heel and pierced him for our transgressions. But he rose from the dead and he crushed evil once and for all. Do you believe? Because if you believe that truth that I just said... You're walking through the narrow gate. If you say that's rubbish, that's fairy tale stuff, you have just entered through the wide gate. And you're walking down a path that leads somewhere you don't want to be. We'll get to that in a moment. So, first of all, we see that this violence that we're talking about, the kingdom of heaven is being stormed with violence. It started on a cross in a resurrection that was foretold long ago in Genesis. But this crucifixion violence even comes over to you and me because Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. Paul writes, and these are words that we need to be able to say true to us, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So we are to identify as believers in this crucifixion of Christ. And we are to be crucified with him. And we do that by believing that he died and shed his blood in our place. But watch this. It's also an ongoing violence in the life of the Christian. We are to live a life of violence. Boy, you're really wondering where I'm going with this because Jesus said turn the other cheek. Listen to this. The Christian life is a life of violence. And we get this from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus has already said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. Hack it away and throw it. For it's better that you lose your right hand and your right eye than your whole body be thrown into hell. And so we spiritually live out a violent life when we are faced with temptations with our eyes and with our hands. We are willing, not literally, but spiritually to remove these instruments 
so that we don't fall into sin. And so a Christian goes through the narrow gate by gouging out eyes and removing things from their life that cause them to sin. That's violent. It's violent. The third contrast. Gates narrow, gates wide. Ways easy, ways hard. And now, one gate's got many going through it. And one gate's got very few going through it. You know, we live in a world that loves the wide gate. And it's not new to our generation. If you looked at the history of humanity and the sin and the, and the debased way of living all the way back to the Middle Ages, all the way back to the Old Testament days, we do not live in a new age of evil. Evil has been prevalent throughout the world for all of history. The culture that we live in right now in America is raging, raging against the Bible. The Bible's got a very narrow definition of marriage. It's narrow. And our world is wanting to go through a very wide gate. The Bible has a very, very narrow definition of life. Young and old. But the world is going through a wide gate saying, you let us determine what a life is worth and when it's worth having or not. The Bible is very narrow about oaths, and yet we have people throwing oaths all over the place. In churches, in politics, in business, everywhere. People's loose with their tongues, slapping oaths all over the place. But the Bible says, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. And I could go on and on and on. Our world is programmed to look for the widest gate possible and to run through it gleefully. And there are many on that path. God's way cannot be discovered by adhering to the majority opinion. I'm going to say that again. God's way cannot be adhered to, cannot be known, cannot be discovered by weighing in and adhering to the majority opinion of the culture. We must be a people driven by this. This is a narrow gate. Jesus knows all about this. Our Christ identifies with us so well. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just had one of his hard sayings. He has told his audience that if you will eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll be right with me. People are thinking cannibalism, and no, Jesus is using hyperbole. Saying, if you'll believe in me, that's what it means to eat. This is the bread of life. We need to eat our Bibles. <laughs> and they, they do not embrace this. And listen to this, John six sixty five, And he says, he explains his teaching, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many... After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So he called them to come through this narrow gate called me, 
Jesus. And it's hard because there's a hard teaching here. You've got to believe in me to the extent that you almost eat me and drink me because my body and blood are going to be given for you. And many said, no, we're going through this wide gate over here. That's, that's too weird for us. We're going over here. And many, Scripture says, left him. But watch this. So Jesus said to the twelve, the few, the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Translation, you're the narrow gate. We're going to go through you. So the many left Jesus and abandoned him. And the few, the twelve, said, we're with you. And tragically, that twelve became eleven, right? Because Judas at some point said, I'm going through the wide gate as well. We are a crowd people. I am. I know you are. We do. We look for the crowd. We wet our finger and we see which way is the wind blowing. We're, we're just like this. We want a large crowd of people with us, affirming us. God knows this about us. And in his graciousness, he gave us the church. Look at the crowd here this morning. We're here together worshiping Jesus Christ. We could be sitting off on some hilltop all by ourselves and it would be good for a season, but we sure would get lonely. God knows that we need encouragement. God knows that we need people around us pointing us to Christ and he blessed us by giving us the church. The fourth contrast is ultimate. There is a path that is wide, that is easy, that is crowded, and it leads to destruction. And there is a path that is narrow, and that is hard, and there's few on it, and it leads to life. Life. Who here wants destruction versus life? We all want life. But we get in the wrong path because we've gone through the wrong gate, because we followed the wrong crowd. Yeah, the path's end is of ultimate significance in Jesus' parable for us. We need to understand the gate that we're going through and what its ultimate destination is. And the tragedy is that some people become so enamored with the wide and easy and crowded path that they go, yeah, I'm doing pretty good here. I'm, I'm right on track. And they've not taken into consideration at all where this herd is heading. And to add tragedy to tragedy, when someone on this wide path that's crowded and easy is told, Hey, let me tell you something. That path is leading to a place you don't want to go. There's destruction down at the end of that path. They deny it. They scoff at it. And they argue that they're no worse than everybody else that's on this path with them because you know the human condition is to compare ourselves to other people. 
And so when we take a quick population survey and see that we're fitting in, we're A-OK. They want to deny that this path is leading to a bad place. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament. I do want us to turn over to Genesis chapter 7. Let me tell you, the Bible is full of narrow gate and wide gate scenarios. Life of David, life of Saul, on and on and on. Life of Moses, Abraham. I mean, we could exhaust months looking at narrow gate and wide gate scenarios in the Bible. But I want to look at one this morning that we're all familiar with, and that's the account of Noah and his ark and the great flood. I just want to challenge you this morning. You know, we've all, those of us that have grown up in church, even those that have not grown up in church, everyone knows about Noah's ark. And everyone's got in their head the coloring book image with the two giraffes sticking out the top, smiles on their face, and Noah's, uh, they're floating around kind of on a cruise ship. Right? But I want to tell you, Noah's Ark, (laughs) Noah's Ark is like the most horrific story in the Bible. If they truly made Noah's Ark a true-to-the-Bible movie, it would be a horror film. Like Saving Private Ryan. Terrifying. Look at Genesis 7, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You see Jesus' parable here? Leaping out of the pages of Genesis chapter 7. There's a narrow gate. That narrow gate's going to be the ark. There's only one way for people to survive the coming judgment that God is going to lay down on the earth. God said, I'm going to destroy it all, save you and Ham and Japheth, Shem and their wives. So there's this narrow gate called the ark. But it's a hard way because Noah's got to build an ark and there's never been an ark built in the history of mankind. In fact, do you know at this point it's never rained in the world in Genesis 7? This is going to be the first rainstorm in the history of history. He doesn't even know what rain is, but he's building an ark. And it's massive. It was a hard labor. What were the people thinking while he's building the ark? So it was the hard way. It was the narrow way. And look at this. There's few and many. There's many that are going to be outside of that ark on the earth destroyed. And there's just going to be a few that are going to be saved through this narrow gate called the ark after they've walked down the hard way. Genesis seven twenty one. look down there. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals, 
and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So that wide gate of living in violence and defying God was an easy way. They didn't have to build an ark. It was easy, just day in and day out, shake our fist at God. We know what's right on our earth. It ended in destruction. Because the waters came and they rose. And can you imagine the sheer terror of that water getting waist deep and chest deep and shoulder deep and head deep? Can you imagine? Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who find it. But enter by the narrow gate for the way is hard and there are few who enter by it. Peter in explaining this says that in 1 Peter 3.20 when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So Peter explains to us in, in his book what went down in Genesis. And what's happening is there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. There's an easy way. There's a hard way. There's a crowded way. There's a sparsely populated way. And one way leads to life. And one way leads to death. So again, I want to reiterate to you this morning that Jesus Christ is the narrow gate. In fact, I'm going to tell you that that ark in Noah's account, that ark represented Jesus Christ. You needed to be within the ark to be safe from the judgment of God. And we need to be in Christ to be safe from the judgment of God. Because the judgment of God is coming just like the days of Noah were coming. And God was patient while that ark was built. That's what Peter said. He was patient and he waited till it was completed before he brought his judgment. And God right now is waiting patiently for the right moment when Jesus Christ will come again. And it will be just like Noah's ark. And there will be few that are saved through the ark of Christ. And there will be many who will be devoured by God's wrath and judgment. And we're talking about eternal implications here. Do you believe in this narrow gate? Have you entered through this narrow gate? I urge you to consider Christ, the narrow gate today. And I want to be really clear. The narrow gate is not morality. We do not live a good life and everything will be just fine. No, there will be plenty of moral people drowning in the judgment of God. We do not preach a gospel of morality. We preach a gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we believe in Christ, guess what? Morality will happen. Morality will be who we are because we believe in Jesus Christ. And we obey him in joy. It's not good works. We can't work our way into being right with God. No, it is, it is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ is not racially narrow. Jesus Christ is not socioeconomically narrow. He's not gender narrow. 
He is not IQ narrow. He's not age narrow. Jesus Christ is available to all who would profess with their mouth that he is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's good news. Everyone in here is eligible. Everyone in here is invited to come through this narrow gate that leads to life. Everyone. I just want to say one final word. I've spent a lot of time talking about this narrow gate and this hard way and this sparsely populated path. And some might say, man, that doesn't sound good at all. Man, this Christian stuff, ah, I got to get out of there. Now, let me tell you something. The narrow way and the hard way and the sparsely populated way, when you're right with Jesus Christ, it is a joy to walk through that path. And I know from experience that when you go through the wide gate with all the crowds, there's this guilt that's dragging you down. And you're burdened with feeling horrible. Because you know deep down you're being convicted by the grace of God. This is wrong. And there is freedom. There is absolute freedom in living in this narrow and hard and sparsely populated way. It is really, really good. It's like marriage. Man, marriage is so good. The world says, that's so confining. Man, when you have married the woman or the man that God has for you, and you fulfill your role as the, the, the one who lays his life down for her, and when she submits in a biblically way, not in a chauvinistic way, but a biblically way to him, marriage is bliss. It is absolute bliss. When you fulfill your role that God gave you. And it's the same way in the Christian life. When you worship Christ and you're delighted in Him being glorified and you're obedient to Him, it is the greatest existence that I can commend to anybody. And so I urge you this morning don't see this narrow, confining, hard way as something that's not attractive. Oh boy, let me tell you, you get life immediately. And for eternity. And when you don't go through that narrow gate. And you go through that wide one. You get destruction immediately. And eternally. So I urge you this morning. To choose the way of life. Here's how I want to close. At the end of December. Colton Ardall preached in this pulpit last year. And, and I've not forgotten that sermon. And that sermon popped into my mind. As I prepared this week for this message. His sermon was entitled choose life. And he preached from Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's on our website. We put all of our sermons on our website for a purpose so that you can go dip back in. And I would urge you to go listen to Colton's sermon again, December 29th or 30th. Go listen to that sermon again. It's a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday morning or a drive or a drive to Dallas, Fort Worth with your smartphone. Listen to that sermon. But I want to read the text from that sermon and we'll close with this. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Apply this now to what I've just said in this sermon. For this commandment that I command to you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? No. 
Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Folks, this word is very near to you. It's right here. It's not off up in heaven, up in the clouds. We can't get to it. It's not across the ocean. It's very near to you. I have brought it right into your lap this morning. It's here. God in his grace brought this word to you. And then he says here, you can do it in the strength of Christ. See, I've set before you today, God says, life and good, death and evil. Wide gate, narrow gate. If you obey the commandment of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. That promised land ultimately is eternity with Christ. And it's here for you to have. He's brought it near to you this morning. And I urge you, choose life. Choose Christ for his glory and for your eternal benefit.